and the vampire asks him if he wants to be a vampire dog and <laughs> is this sounding weird to anyone else uh, <laughs> it's a very odd but very cool scene Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It's another episode of No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. And we are here again. It's another bright and beautiful Monday. Today we have another play. This play is by Carol Churchill. The play is called Mad Forest, subtitle A Play from Romania. Yeah, yeah, this is a a play that I read in the context of a kind of a political theater class uh, with that I took in uh, college, and uh, I think it's a very very steeped in the in a moment in history, but as uh, deep with other themes as well. So I'm excited to kind of dig into to all of those facets of this this very very well written play. Right, the play is very specific. It follows the, and I won't spoil your synopsis, but in general, it's about the revolution in Romania in 1989. And so what happened is that in 1990, literally in March of 1990, the revolution had just occurred in December of 1989. In March of 1990, Carol Churchill takes... speech and drama students from London's Central School of Speech and Drama to Romania where they stay with other drama students there and while they're there they conduct interviews and do some work to create this script Mad Forest, a play from Romania. Now Churchill was already a playwright at the time, she had other scripts out, um, but she did premiere her play in London with those speech and drama students then it went on to play at the Royal Court Theater, eventually it's made its way over to New York and played uh, at the Perry Street Theater in New York. Interestingly, that production had Tim Blake Nelson in it, who's currently in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And so he's sort of in the popular lexicon because of that. That's sort of the context. It, it has had some life other than that, but it's a pretty specific play. So it's maybe broad appeal in terms of moving on to really being played everywhere probably is limited to some degree. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of vernacular that you need to know to understand a lot of this play. It is very set in the 1989 revolution in Romania um, uh, around the events of Ceausescu, who was the uh, kind of uh, socialist dictator uh, at the time, and uh, his fall from power and the people... uh, that, that sounds sounds like the play is about him, and it's not. The play is actually about the people overthrowing him and the lives of the people within Romania during that time. Um, the, the play could also be subtitled Two Weddings and a Revolution, um, as the two acts are kind of centered, the three acts are kind of centered around that. The first act um, is before the revolution and has a lot to do with uh, one of the characters, Lucia, uh, and and her upcoming wedding, and then Act Three is titled uh, Florian, or I'm sorry, Florina's wedding, um, which is after the revolution. Between those two weddings is uh, an account of a bunch of people's experience of the day the revolution happened and the subsequent events for a couple days at least um, after the the revolution occurred within the city. Right, because. What ha- what happened during the Romanian Revolution, and, and this will be the part of the episode where we try to pretend like we know that much about the <laughs> Romanian Revolution and present to you just the context of what happened 
through the podcast, of course, we'll be focusing most on the place. So we're not about to give you a long, hour-long history lesson. But this is sort of what occurred during the Romanian Revolution, is a lot of confusion. Um, Ceausescu had, is a violent dictator at the time. He puts down what, what is basically a Hungarian uprising in another town outside of Bucharest. Um, lots of people are killed there. Then, because of the mass outcry about those killings uh, in that other town, there is... Um, Ceausescu basically puts on a show in Bucharest to say, no, everybody's with me. He marches in all these workers, basically, that are supposed to cheer him. But as he's giving his speech, he ends up getting booed, and basically the revolution starts. There's a sort of violent mob that occurs while he's giving this speech. So the TV stations all shut down, and what occurs next is days of confusion. The first night, people are pretty clear that it is the people rising up against the army, against the... What do we say? Secretate? Yeah, the se- Securitate. Securitate. The Securitate. Um, Which so is they, like the secret police, the Gestapo of them. Right. Of the, They'll come up the, a lot during the yeah. play in our conversation. So they, they rise up. Then the second day, the people go out to march again and find that the army has basically changed sides. And why that is is sort of a large looming question of the Romanian Revolution. Some people say it's because the, the like the main general of the army, the head general, uh, was dead under mysterious circumstances through the night sometime. Uh, Ceausescu says he killed himself. Lots of people think he was murdered. So some people say, well, that's why the army turned. Some people say, well, actually, it was a coup. The army decided that they were just going to take over. If there's going to be a revolution anyway, the army might as well be in charge. So lots of confusion happened. Then there's days of fighting between lots of different factions. Ceausescu supporters, the army, the revolutionists, you know, lots of different people who are all sort of vying for control, ultimately the National Salvation Front becomes the new government. They become a political party and hold uh, free and fair elections. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Questionably free and fair elections. Um, and and to this day, really, there's a lot of questions about what actually occurred during those days of the revolution. And, and the third act of this play really focuses in on that question. What actually happened? Was this a people's revolution? Was there more to it than that? Yeah, there, there there's also like a, a deal of fear about the larger foreign players in this fight. There's wondering about what role Russia had in it, what role the USA had in it, and, and the different organizations that could have been pulling. So yeah, there's the, there's the three big, the three big power movers are four probably. The, the people, the Securitate, the army, and then a group called the Terroristi, um, who uh, are seen as the the supporters of Ceausescu uh, that remain in the in the in the country that they are fighting against for the couple days after the revolution itself. So that's the big, the main political large world events that are happening during this play. And basically, what we just described for you is Act Two. So let's talk there first, Jackson, about the interesting structure framework that the play is in. It's in two fictionalized acts, like you said, a wedding first act, a wedding third act. This is between the same people. Act one and act three are about the same group of people, basically two families who are tied by a sort of a tenuous romantic connection. Then the middle act is docudrama. 
It's yeah. uh, verbatim theater, right? We talked a little bit about that when we did the Laramie Project. It's yeah. the, the second act is very comparable to the Laramie Project and not about any of the fictionalized people from Act 1 or Act 3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, all the all the characters are renamed as they're all the same actors, presumably. Um, many of them just uh, kind of redress themselves, but they are all renamed as kind of just generic roles, like painter and student and bulldozer driver and doctor and securitate. Um, so the the whole second act is very much an oral history, and I'm glad you brought up the Laramie Project because it's very similar to the Laramie Project in that way. These people are just kind of standing, delivering. Uh, this isn't like a, a fictionalized. Um, there's no uh, blocking or movement necessarily. It's just a recount of the two days, December 21st and 22nd really is much of what Act 2 is about when the revolution happened and then the subsequent kind of very confusing day when they thought they had won but more fighting occurred. Right, and a lot of people say that Carol Churchill was sort of visionary in in looking forward and seeing the popularity that verbatim theater was about to have in in broader Western dramatic literature. So she writes this play, which is based on interviews and is, I would guess, fairly verbatim in response to what they heard. It's it, it's the the second act is sort of hard to read because it's the it's it's hard to track the characters through their various speeches like in the Laramie project we actually talked about this when we did the Laramie project the Laramie project is also somewhat hard to read because it's hard to track the characters there's just so many right yeah which i think in this play winds up serving a greater purpose which is that they they were that confused. <laughs> and I think throughout this play, you confusion is a big theme. Um, and as you're looking at it, I imagine there's 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 a ton of roles here. There's over 10 roles in Act 2. And they're all just standing there talking uh, throughout throughout the, the act. And so you're trying to bounce around from various people's accounts. Some of them are kind of conflicting based on where they were stationed at the time. The do- I'm thinking specifically of the doctors and nurses Um and the revolutionaries, and then the people who were in the government. There's some soldiers, there's this the securitate. So you're, you, as the audience, are trying to condense uh, accounts of what had happened the same way I, I would imagine many of the people at the time were trying to condense accounts of what actually happened. And so right, that, and, and conflicting accounts. I mean, yeah. the, the Act 2 does not tell one story. It tells a lot of perspectives on one thing that happened, but the perspectives vary widely depending on who you're talking to and what their particular experience was of those several days of revolution. So I actually really like how you put it, Jackson, that the audience is forced to sort of take on the job of Romanian people after the revolution, which is to figure out what the crap happened. (laughs) (laughs) So they listen to their friends, their students, they talk to the doctors, they talk to the the securitate, and they just, they get all of these people who say, no, this happened. No, actually, it was really this. No, what I saw was this. And that's totally different than what you're saying. And somehow they got to fit all of this information into themselves and as a, you know, as a unit, as a nation, produce some sort of answer. (laughs) Right. Decide what comes next as a result of that. When, you know, not a lot of it was recorded, uh, not the, the TV stations, as we've mentioned, were shut down. The radio was apparently broadcasting in some way, but there's questions about that, too. How are the media places functioning in this scenario when they probably shouldn't be if, the, if they were at the center of power? So there's all sorts of doubt cast about that as well. So, yeah, that's the, that that 
a trying to condense a story that you can walk away with and stand on is 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 much of what the confusion deals with in act 2 I think and you get people who just experienced different things, right? So, like, at one point, there's a student who says, I was watching this, and the army was shooting tracer bullets, but they were shooting them above people's heads. So you could see it was just warning shots. And then the next description is, like, a painter or somebody saying, they rolled tanks through people's bodies and crushed them all to death. And so you're like, what? What happened? Is the army trying not to shoot people? Or are they trying to crush people into their tanks? Right. How are can we possibly know? <laughs> right. Isn't yeah. it really the army? Yeah. No, I, I I really liked Act Two for that because it made me feel it made me feel the difference. Um, rather than, you know, try to cerebrally be like, okay, I can piece together this. I don't think at the end you'd come out saying, Yeah, I know what happened. <laughs> it's, right. It's, it's, I, it's no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it would be foolish to claim. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I believe me, the big question of the Romanian Revolution, I figured it out. <laughs> right. Yeah. From reading Act Two of Mad Forest. <laughs> so uh, this would probably be the right time, as we're talking about all this, to talk about the title Mad Forest. Yeah. Um, wh- where does it come from and how does it relate to what we just talked about? Well, Mad Forest is uh, a line from A Concise History of Romania, um, which the play is, uh, under the title of the play, this line is is spoken about. Um, and it talks about how in the history of Romania, the uh, kind of horsemen, horse people of the... Uh, of the steppes and the mountains of of Romania would come up to this forest that was basically impenetrable. It was you couldn't cross it by foot. Uh, you could only I'm sorry you could only cross it by foot. You couldn't move large groups of people through it. It was a dense forest, and you would with, like get lost if you get didn't lost, know the way through. Yeah, sink in muddy streams and etc. And it was so annoying that they called it. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce this, but I'll try uh, Telorman, and that is Mad Forest. And, um, and and notably the that that forest so, to some degree I believe still exists, but mostly is where Bucharest is now, or or actually was in the history of Romania placed where Bucharest is now. So there's this sense of you know in the history of this town, this country, this dense, impenetrable pack of just confusion and chaos that is sort of the roots, literally, you know, the trees, the roots of Mm -hmm. Bucharest. So what does that have to do? We just talked about some of (laughs) what the tie might be. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly to to many people trying to look in at it, this was an impenetrable mess. Um, uh, and, and, and I'm saying that as someone, you know, trying to approach it from 20 years later with, with, you know, some semblance of, of, uh, accounts condensed, um, as to what happened. Like, just Im- imagine <laughs> the confusion that just someone, a town over outside of Bucharest would have about this event, let alone, you know, the national community trying to figure out what happened at all and try to, you know, get inside of what happened or 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 have have a way to move forward from it. Right. And in this way, I think the play was really served by how quickly Carol Churchill and her team got into Romania. Yeah. Right. Like I said, they are there three months later. So this is very much the aftermath. This is the wake up and figure out how the world works now society of Romania. And that's where they came in to do these interviews and create this piece of drama. And what the benefit is that there's no 
there's no answers at that point in time, right? If they, if I tried to write a play about the Romanian Revolution now, I would be writing it through the lens of the historical answers. Now we know. Now we have an official answer to some degree of what took place in Romania at that time. Whether how true it is or not, maybe is still a question. But we we have some sort of idea looking back on what occurred. We have some sort of idea of the implications of what occurred for the country, for its Western integration. You know, it ends up joining uh, the, the League of Nations. You know, uh, uh, it's not the League of Nations. That would not be right. But um, um, the European uh, Union. Uh, uh, yeah, Romania ends up joining several of those sort of Western coalition groups among countries. So we, we know all that looking back. But because Carol Churchill and the team were able to come in at that specific time and capture these outlooks that are all forward-looking, right? They're all – the questions of what happened the other day are unanswerable. So they look forward to the to what is possible for Romania. I think you get this really – fascinating specific perspective that would be really hard to recreate now years and years later Mm -hmm. absolutely i I completely agree that this i mean this play exemplifies what theater can do when wielded as a tool for social uh matters Uh, and and for for uh making making something that is in the public conscience available and grappleable where where it wouldn't have been able to be before, uh, especially in the context of actually telling these people stories. I agree the timeline is so important for this that uh, to to get on the ground people's stories and then play it as 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 was uh, available to them at the Na- I think it was the National Theatre, right? If I remember correctly, in in England, in London, I forget one of the big theaters in in uh, in London that it played at for a long for for a decent amount of time. And to tell that story when when so many people were concerned about it in in the moment is is a super important part of theater that I don't I don't know that we necessarily hold up as much anymore. Right. So that's act two. <laughs> right. You know. I mean, what we the the implications, the social blah blah blah, all of this verbatim theater stuff is act two. We just basically condensed the similar discussion we had about Laramie Project into a discussion <laughs> only about, about act minutes. two. <laughs> and act one and act two are very short. Act three occupies the bulk of the play. It's a lot longer. But like we said, act two is 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 verbatim. It's true perspectives. Act one and act three are fictionalized accounts of life in Romania. So there's there's really two families. Why don't you take one, Jackson? I'll take the other. You pick. Sure. Well, I'll uh, I'll start with the first one that we met, which is the Vladus. Um, they are Bogdan, uh, who is the father, Irina, who is the mother, Florina, Luc- Florina and Lucia, who are both their daughters, and Gabriel, who is their son. Um, and the- these are adult people. Yes, they are all uh, adults. Sorry, I was yawning there, everybody. That's why that sounded so weird. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to say anything, so I was right. yawning. And I was like, oh, I better I surprised yawn. myself. <laughs> so uh, all the children are adult children, really, through the whole play. I, think, I believe there's only one, like, true child character. Right, yes. Um, uh, some complications of people who get involved with that. I'll just say their names now so that when we talk about them later, we can roll right into them. But... Uh, Gabriel is married to Rodica, um, and then uh, Lucia winds up wearing marrying Wayne, who is an American that she has had some contact with prior uh, via and, letters. And that Lucia, uh, Lucia or Lucia, however, and Wayne is really the core of Act One. Yeah. 
Yep. That, the, and not really that relationship. Is Wayne even a character? I mean, he's written in the character list. Does he really appear in the play? He's at the wedding. There's a, the, uh, a the short third scene. Wedding. Oh, that's right. He does. First, yeah, that's, you're right. He just gets married. He's just in yeah. the wedding. Yep. <laughs> so outside of actually the wedding scene of Act I One, I don't think he's in the play. He has no lines. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um, all right. So that's one family. Uh, the other family is the Antonescu's, you know, we're just taking guesses here. The Antonescu family, um, Mihai and Flavia are the, uh, mother and father, respectively. Mihai is an architect. Flavia is a teacher. And then they have a son named Radu. He is an art student. And then, uh, Flavia's grandmother appears at least once in the play in, in sort of a dream hallucination sequence. Um, so Radu and Florina, uh, Florina of the family Jackson described, Radu of the family I described, prior to the play were in some sort of relationship, were together in some way, enough that the families know each other. But what occurs in Act 1 is that because uh, Lucia wants to marry an American, the whole Vladu family is uh, basically blacklisted. In society, they they lose important positions in their jobs. Uh, Radu is forced to break up with Florina because Florina's sister Lucia is marrying an American, and the Antonescu family does not want to be associated with that with the blacklisted Vladu family. So that's a lot of the tension that occurs in Act One is about this society, you know, this government pushing out of the Vladu family because Lucia is going to marry an American. Right. The Vladu family winds up being uh, kind of guilty on a couple counts as far as the Securitate goes. Um, uh, we, we mentioned uh, Lucia already that she is trying, you know, she the line that is used is she, she was supposed to be a kind of a primary school teacher. And now she's going to marry an American and thus is of no use to the, the, the socialist agenda within Romania. She is no longer committing to the, to the society there. And right, so, so she can no longer be a teacher. So the Securitate makes the case that, uh, you know, we've wasted these resources training your daughter to be a teacher. And now she can't be a teacher. She's going to move to America. What a waste of government resources. Right, right. And thus that implicates the rest of the family. Florina, who is a nurse, uh, works pretty hard they mentioned that you know she's she's great and uh, <laughs> your son is great um but not really because their son gabriel is is one of the the people who go out in the streets and march um uh w- when the revolution happens and, and um, he's one of the like initial people the, right like, the initial uprising is particularly by young people and students and then the whole country sort of joins in after they do so the the refrain is that the young people lead the way yep and the the other connection between the two families uh, is Radu and Gabriel, who are friends. Um, there's there's a scene where they hang out with another character called Ianos, Janos, sorry, um, and uh, they are they are you get the feeling that they are the young dissidents, uh, kind of raising up. Radu straight up says in a breadline, "Down with uh, Ceausescu," um, and uh, so so these are the three, the kind of uh, the. Oh shoot! What's the name of the group from Les Mis that are the the oh, revolutionaries? Yeah, the, the revolutionaries. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's all the students. Yeah, you're right. There's a similar feel. Um, and and Janos is a Hungarian, um, which does not really come up in the first act, and really that much in the second act. But the third act, it becomes maybe a central 
part of Act Three. There's lots of central parts, um, but uh, the Hungarian question for Romania definitely is one of them. Um, so, what what is Act One like, Jackson? What's the feel? What's it about? Yeah, well, it's it's setting the scene right for Act Two. It's welcoming in uh, people who didn't live in Romania to what it a stylized version of what life in Romania was like under the Securitate and under the uh, socialist uh, dictatorship of Ceausescu. Um, there's a lot of uh, worry about what people will hear. And uh, silence is a huge part of this play. The first scene, you don't hear any dialogue. Um, there are four characters on stage, and they are all in this living room. And you see people talking, but a radio is used prevalently to drown out all conversation or all audible conversation. So whenever, whenever people start to talk about something that, that uh, they are worried could be overheard, someone goes over and turns the radio up. And when someone says, no, we should talk about this, they turn the radio down. But then that's, that kind of is the power struggle of this first scene is different characters turning up the radio so that they will not be heard, overheard by someone else on the outside. Right. So the radio goes up when you want to talk, when you want to say something that you don't want the government to hear. And the radio goes down when nobody cares because it's so loud that it would be annoying. Um, so, th yeah, the first scene is a kind of a constantly radio up and down. And they really do that through the rest of Act One. Another notable example of sort of the idea that the government is listening, um, Lucia goes to get an abortion uh, several scenes into the play. And the scene is it's sort of it's sort of confusing unless you've already figured out what's going on. Um, so if you already have some context and you know that what the play is trying to communicate is this idea that the government is listening, then you're going to catch on even right away in scene one. If not, it might take you a few scenes, although if you haven't read it yet, we just – now you know. <laughs> but it, you know, in, in the past, if you've read the play, you might remember it maybe takes you a few scenes to sort of get your wheels spinning to, oh, this is what's happening. So the abortion scene is sort of like that. The doctor and Lucia have a conversation which – the text of the conversation is, uh, Lucia, you're a slut for getting pregnant outside of marriage. You can't have an abortion. It's illegal in this country. You should go marry the man who got you pregnant and stop being a slut is basically the text of the conversation. But what's happening is that while the doctor and Lucia have that conversation, they are exchanging notes and money. Uh, so what's really happening sort of under the, under the words is that the doctor is agreeing to give Lucia the abortion, but in order to prevent him or her from, you know, being caught by the government, they have to have this sham conversation that the microphones will pick up. Right. Exactly. Yeah. This, this kind of the, the, the actions of that scene is, you know, someone, speaking something, writing down on a piece of paper. And I think even at some point, Lucia is like smiling happily that the deal has, has gone off in the middle of being yelled at by the doctor about, you know, how dare you even come here and, and try to make this happen. So, yeah, it's a very um, disparate scene to what is actually happening as as you're watching it. As I was preparing for this podcast, I, I watched a few things about Romania at the time and the Romanian Revolution, and I heard this crazy thing. I will say that I have not independently verified it, but what I heard is that for every three citizens in Romania, there was one government microphone. 
One wow. Act, one microphone actively listening for every three people. Wow. So this sense that the government, that the, sec- the Securitate, man, I just cannot say that word. <laughs> <laughs> the Securitate, um, is that right? Yep, I think okay, that's right. The Securitate, uh, the, the idea that they are constantly listening and watching your every move was a huge part, apparently, of the Romanian society pre-revolution. Now, we didn't live there, but that's what we, you know, that's, that's what the play is communicating. So amidst all of this sort of world setting and secrecy and silence, what is the story that unfolds, Jackson? Well, the story slowly unfolds that uh, the, uh, well, it's kind of two different big beats. Eventually, Lucia gets married to Wayne. Um, that is that is the path of it. And the, the act is titled that. So that definitely has some weight. Um, however, we are introduced to Gabriel in a very fast scene um, that comes out uh, later on in the play that the revolution is starting, essentially. Um, he comes in and he's he's very excited about an event that happened at the factory. He's 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 going out to to uh, be a part of something, some more of the the marches that are happening. And that's that's our introduction to Gabriel. Uh, the other, well, well, he he comes in and he's so excited, and they the the power's out. The other thing that happens lots of times during Act One is the power will go out, and they'll have to use candles to uh, see and speak, and then the power will come back on, and they'll put out their candles. That happens a few times. So the power is out when Gabriel arrives, and so he wants to tell them this thing that happened where he had this interaction with government workers and the securitate. And, um, but, but his family is like, wait, wait, Gabriel, the, the radio doesn't work right now. <laughs> yeah. You can't tell us, but he is going, he mm-hmm. is just going. And so the story is that the Securitate came to him and wanted, basically was going to ask him to inform on his fellow workers, but he found this sort of clever way to say, uh, because I'm so committed to to the communist country and to doing my work, I don't have time to listen to my fellow employees and take a lunch break. <laughs> Yep. Yep. <laughs> so he he's all excited that he found this clever way to say no without being able to be blamed by the government for saying no. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is our 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 great in- introduction to that character because he's, he's very prevalent. Yeah, and it's subversive, right? I mean, the whole Act One uh, before the real movement of the revolution takes place is these sort of characters involved in their various subversions, or their particular willingness to go along with it, right? Because the character who is the teacher does not seem to have as much difficulty. um, Flavia does not seem to have as much difficulty with the revolution, not the revolution, with the party line, with the communist government, with teaching what they want her to teach. Yeah. In general, the Antonescus are are noted in the stage directions that they are more well-off than the Vladus. And I think what we see reflected, or the reason for that, is both Mihai and Flavia toe the party line more. Um, Mihai is an architect for the People's Palace, and he works in close association with Ceausescu, probably not personally, but um, he... Uh, yeah, it's sort of hard to tell who he's talking about, but there's the scene where he says, he came by. Mm-hmm. He came by and made us change it. And I, I think it's at least possible that he's literally talking about Ceausescu. Yeah, yep. And as we mentioned, Flavia is teaching the history of Ceausescu, basically, is what the history book is, and and kind of uh, deifying almost Ceausescu and his path to power. Um, 
so yeah, they are they are much more well well off, and I agree that they they both in this act and then as we will see in Act Three, uh, provide this other facet of 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 complication in that they were able to find a way to live well within some of the confines of it. Throw Radu into that, who is an art student, who they also had to make sacrifices to to bring about um, his his ability to go to art school, but he is you know steeped in this. Uh, this this university mindset and and is part of the revolution. So that's that's part of the tension of that family unit as well. Right. But so Radu really more closely aligns with the with the Vladu family in his tendency to want to overthrow Ceausescu's government and regime. But they live in a time where that all has to be secret. So what are some of the ways we see in Act One where they're subversive as a group? Uh, what are some of the things we do? So we talked about Gabriel uh, being able to figure out a way to say no to the to the the securitate without having to actually say no. Yeah. Um. Well. Well. Bogdan has that whole uh, conversation with the securitate that he has to. He he is just silent. Um. He he doesn't go one way or the other on it. Uh, Bogdan, I'm sorry, is the is the father of the Vladu family, and uh, he's he's having this conversation with the securitate, who is basically saying, "You you you have a problem in your house, and we and we're gonna fix it, or you you're gonna fix it, or we will." And uh, he has to just stay silent the whole time. He doesn't he doesn't fight one way or the other. Um. He's basically just trying to be compliant and get out of there. Right, and you've mentioned we see Radu in what's called a queue, which is the sort of the Romanian lines that you have to get in at the time to get anything, including you know a book that you wanted, the grocery store, the food, etc. So Radu is in a queue, I think, at the grocery store, and he in the middle of this big line, he just basically it says like he loudly whispers down with Ceausescu. And people start to look around, and he starts to look around too. Like, who said? <laughs> who? What? What was that? What who was would that possibly mean? say that? So he sort of starts to move in public, saying that out loud, at least for himself. Mm-hmm. Then there's uh, the scene we've kind of already alluded to with uh, Janos, Radu, and Gabriel, where they are very, uh, uh, very uh, carelessly, almost in public, kind of making these jokes about the regime and uh, the way things are uh, as they are as they are drinking together. There's also kind of kind of switching tack for just a second. There's also two great scenes of of uh, absurdist is the wrong word. Um, strange etherealness, maybe within right, Act non, One. Non realism. Yeah. If I, if I say surrealism, I'm I'm talking about like a specific artistic movement. So of course I'm not I'm not, I'm not going to say surrealism, but like. Spiritual, uh, supernatural, <laughs> supernatural. Yeah. Yes, that's a great way to put it. Um, there's there's two two of these scenes in in Act One, and and there's more later on. So it sets you up to kind of be okay with with this happening later on. Um, but there's a scene where the grandmother of the Antonescu family shows up and talks to Flavia for a while, and it's and it's this kind of it's it's a scene that is talking about. Uh, a very a very resonant thing for me, I found. This was one of the lines that stuck with me, that you think that you're going to have another time when you're in your 20s to, to live. <laughs> and you're, you're 50 now. And, and you're not going to. You have to start living now. Um, and, and that is the... 
the kind of uh, the tack of that scene, and this, and, and Flavia insists that she is she is living now, and that she is she is not that old yet, and uh, the grandmother insists that she is getting there. So, so um, yeah, this is Grandma Ghost, and yeah. it, it, there's nothing been like that yet in the play. So this is sort of the the moment where we break the walls of the whole play. I wouldn't really classify as realism, but we class we break the walls of the real world into the supernatural world. And we have dead grandma in a scene. Um, and, and then there also is a scene between a priest and an angel. And the priest is not one of the family members. It's a separate character. He, he is the priest that later will marry Lucia and Wayne. So there's some connection there. But the priest and the angel have this really odd, interesting conversation about the priest i think it's it's to some degree about the priest's internal conflict with be, with being a church in the time of the communist dictatorship and what they're being asked to do to preach the party line to be a place where people you know be sort of an opiate of the masses right the the marx idea that we people can come and feel a little bit better and then go away and that will keep sort of the people on this um on this track of being, you know, like they're addicted to opiates. They don't have any sense of reality. And so the priest is talking about, well, I'm looking at you, the angel, and it's like I'm floating in this blue sky. And then anytime the priest will say things like, I don't know if I should be doing this. Should I really be, I could, I could do, the angel will be like, oh, remember blue sky, blue sky, blue sky, <laughs> blue sky. <laughs> yep. Yep. Actually, the last line of that scene is the priest saying, comfort me. Um, and, and that is the, the, the angel is, is a weird character. He doesn't, the, certainly whatever the church was doing during the time was not, um, <laughs> was not going to come out great, but this angel especially is like, <laughs> he dabbled in the iron guard and, uh, during the, <laughs> during the, in 37 and he's, he's not, not a great character within the context of No, that, of that, that scene. scene at least does not seem to have a lot of great things to say about religion in general. Um, not only, not only about the institution of religion, which the church, you know, has some blame to take for its part in, in the various dictatorships right, throughout right. the world. Uh, but also in the actual supernatural element of the religion, it does not seem to have a particularly favorable outlook of the angel who basically said, I, you know, I don't really care about politics. Right. I'll support whoever is going to throw me the biggest parade. <laughs> and blue sky. Yeah, and blue uh, skies. <laughs> and um, actually, I was mistaken. The priest and the angel is the first supernatural scene. Uh, the Flavia grandmother scene comes later. So this is the first scene where we break that barrier. Mm -hmm. The other thing I wanted to say about the Flavia grandmother scene is it sets up a uh, part of Flavia's journey as a character. She starts as this character who is towing the party line, teaching history from within the context of of Ceausescu and the 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 socialist revolution. Um, but Flavia's grandmother says basically tells her she's not living, and you need to live and. Flavia says, but nobody's living. You can't blame me. And that is the that is kind of the path that Flavia begins to walk as she's realizing that um, she can't live that way anymore. Um, and, and by the end of the play, she kind of winds up doing a 180 as M Mihai still votes for the, the front, the National Salvation Front, but she votes for some a, a different party, the Liberal Party. Oh, um, you're giving it away. We're not even <laughs> in that scene yet. <laughs> 
Maybe that happens. Uh, so <laughs> I think the other notable thing that happens in Act 1 is we get this scene where um, Lucia and Janos, uh, it's a short scene. They just basically stand together, their arms around each other, and, and Lucia like checks the time, and Janos like, don't check the time, it's okay. And they continue to stand their arms around each other, and that's all we really get of that. That will become important uh, later on in the play, but it's really just hinted at because the play is so the first act is so many short scenes textually i think i think in playing it they play a lot longer because there's so much space and so much silence uh but they're so and and they're so they don't they lack so much dialogue not in a bad way but there's just not a lot of words because of some of the themes of the play um I'm not sure that you immediately see that scene and go, oh, I know what's going to happen. I know what they're doing. It just, it's sort of one of the pictures of this sort of tapestry of Act One that really sets up the conflict that will occur between the characters in Act Three. Mm hmm. Which let's let's bounce to Act Three. I think at this point, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, Act One, all of what we've talked about—the sort of shadowy, the government's always listening, these internal personal conflicts. At the end of Act One, Lucia marries the American Wayne. Then we go to Act Two. We spent a lot of time at that at the beginning of the podcast. Nothing like Act One. Verbatim theater. Very confusing telling of what may or may not have happened the the week of the revolution. Then we get to Act Three. Right. Which hits us right away with another absurd scene. Uh, <laughs> and and it's this 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 other great scene between a vampire and a dog. Um <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, the vampire and the dog. Yeah. I I love this scene. Um so there so uh there's there's notes in the beginning that say um Obviously, the, the, the vampire is not dressed as, like, Dracula. It's a normal-looking person. Um, and then the dog speaks. Well, she doesn't so. say he's a normal-looking person. Well, fine, but he <laughs> doesn't have artistic the popped and <laughs> Right, but I think she didn't, want to, she didn't want you to dress him like Dracula, especially because of the region of Europe that there, there's some stereotype there. Right, exactly. Um, but then the dog speaks as well throughout this thing. So there's two humans playing this, and it's this... This scene where a vampire has come down out of the mountains at the, you know, feeling or sensing the violence of the revolution that has occurred. And he's come to, you know, eat or drink blood uh, within the context of this. And this dog has been going through the revolution of he's in the streets, he's getting rocks thrown at him, he got kicked out by his master, and now he is uh, trying to get the vampire who has talked to him uh, for the first time in a while to take him back with him. And the vampire asks him if he wants to be a vampire dog, and... (laughs) Is this sounding weird to anyone else? Uh, it's <laughs> a very odd but very cool scene. Yes. Yeah, what what are what I mean what what are the overlays of this scene? What can this scene mean of this strange mythological creature and a speaking dog? What, 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 why does that apply? Well, there, I mean, there's got to be this level of metaphor there, right? Because these aren't characters you know. They're not characters whose journeys you follow through any of the rest of the play. So there's there's some metaphorical 
you know, structures here that we are supposed to catch. One of them certainly is about the violence of the revolution. And the vampire especially talks about, you know, this desire for blood and how when you become a vampire, you just need more and more of the violence and energy and and sort of pushing the passion uh, forward. And so that really will come through the rest of Act 3. There's sort of this theme that, well, we had a revolution. Now we want another one. Right. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, the, the, I, I completely agree with that. Va- the vampire in general comes up in a lot of plays written in this time um, about uh, revolution and social theater because vampires turn people, right? They, they take people from places of, of, of uh, weakness sometimes and give them a power. And that power is this ability to drink blood and kill things and you have to force yourself to ask the question of is, is this feeling of freedom that I get from this power something of value or am I, you know, drinking people's blood? And I think that's the question that the dog is asking forced to ask. The dog is alone. He just wants to feel like he belongs again. He wants to feel like he has purpose and someone watching out for him. And the vampire's like, you don't want this. And the dog's like, no, no, I really, really want this. And finally, the dog convinces the vampire by way of saying, basically, you, you'd be able to talk to me and you won't be so alone um, to turn him into a vampire. And so what is the switch after that? What is the dog? We don't get to see what the dog feels like now that it can drink blood and whether it was worth worth the sacrifice that it made to achieve this freedom and and peace um, that he gets from being a part being around this vampire and I think that's the big question that 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 is being asked of the revolution itself yeah I totally agree with all that so we get this vampire and dog scene the vampire will come up one more time very late in the play but only as sort of an, an echo of this scene so this is the scene for the vampire. Then we move on to a scene in a hospital, and I think we, we we take some context to figure out right away that this is post-revolution. What has happened is that Gabriel is in a hospital bed. Florina remembers a nurse, so she's around sort of puttering, taking care of him, um, and, and we learn that Gabriel was injured as part of this revolution. He was shot in some way, not fatally, but enough that he's going to be crippled for his life. He's going to sustain an injury that will last his whole life um, as a result of his actions during the revolution. What I love about this first scene in the hospital is that they arrive, um, Mihai and Irina arrive with eggs. And eggs came up at the very beginning of the play as well. The argument, if you remember, the scene with no words where they turn the radio up and down a lot, a lot of that, a lot of what's going on is that the girls have found some eggs. And apparently in pre-revolution Romania, eggs were really hard to come by. So then post-revolution, uh, Mihai and Irina walk into the hospital and they're like, look, we have eggs. Yeah. <laughs> we have eggs now. The revolution worked. There's eggs in the grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other, the other big symbolic thing that is happening in that moment is these two families, uh, whether or not they ever said it out loud to each other or not, Mihai and Flavia have said, your daughter is not good enough for our son because we're, we're trying to toe the party line. And in this moment, um, Mihai 
Mihai and Flavia bring the eggs. And, right, uh, yes, I, I mixed up the couples. Mihai and Flavia arrive later. Bogdan and Irina are the are Gabriel's parents that arrive with the eggs. Yes, yes, and and whiskey to to try no, to, to give to, to, to the doctors. The doctors. Yes, yes. <laughs> And that's but, another moment, too, because Gabriel says, look, we, the revolution's happened. We don't have a communist government, but you don't need to bribe the doctors. The doctors should just do their jobs without <laughs> having to be bribed. And Bogdan's like, oh, you can't change people that quickly. Yeah, which, I mean, that's a that's, really that's fair, it's a day argue, later. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, if you want to take care of the problem, probably best to <laughs> give the doctor some whiskey. Um, but <laughs> but the, the, the kind of reconciliation moment at the end of this scene is Mihai says, says we're so glad the young people no longer uh, no longer have a misunderstanding we have to put the past behind us and go forward on a new basis and bogdan says yes nobody can be blamed for what happened in the past so it's these moments of this two family kind of both saying coming to some terms right of, of and peace. and radu goes off to find florina remember that radu and florina prior to the play had a relationship but mihai and flavia forced radu to basically break up with uh, florina because her family was blacklisted so now they arrive at the hospital to see gabriel uh who you know you imagine that these families probably grew up together radu and gabriel have been friends their whole life so if you if you have that friend to whom like their parents are also kind of your parents and so like if you were in the hospital they would come and see you in the hospital so this has happened now the revolution is over the blacklist is gone to some degree and and mihai and flavia can come and see their you know their kind of friend son uh gabriel in the hospital, and then Radu can go off and fly in Florina. So there's some level of reconciliation that happens between the two families as a result of what occurred during the revolution. Mm-hmm. The other things that begin to happen throughout this this act, and it's 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 the longest of the acts, and we've reserved a, 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 a sixth of our time for it. But uh, a lot of things that happen is the um, wondering and the disillusionment that occurs uh, after the revolution. There are patients in the hospital who uh, kind of serve as exposition. One one in particular that talks about all the different beats of things that are like, how could this have happened? Kind of almost conspiracy theory or conspiracy theory style and Gabriel uh, tries to talk that that individual down as much as he can but lots right of and people... it's a, it's a pretty good device it's a it's a patient with a head wound that um, sort of wanders through the scenes asking question after question of the revolution and so at first of all you're right it allows Churchill to do some exposition of like laying out these are the questions that exist after the revolution in a way that doesn't just have like a character stand and say it it's part of the drama of the scene that there are people who are suffering these traumatic head wounds and just can't get a grasp on reality after the revolution. But then when that patient leaves, it allows the characters who are, you know, still in their right mind to say, actually, that was a good question. Yeah, who was That's not just then? a conspiracy theory. <laughs> That's something that like us, you know, people who are still have our wits with us can say and ask each other, who was shooting on the 22nd? Yeah, yep. Absolutely. And that kind of sparks some of Radu's journey throughout this uh, play. Radu remains a revolutionary throughout the rest of the play. Um, he is uh, at, at the sacrifices, some of his relationships almost. He he continues the, the line of the revolution. Later on, he uh, he he fights with his parents about uh 
he he blames his he he still has residual blame against his mother Flavia for sticking so close to the party line and and teaching teaching what she taught for so long and and her her professed love for uh, Cheshescu and his wife and um that and that whole this, scene and yeah, as go. a result of that confrontation there's this crazy almost heartbreaking moment where um Mihai basically lies and says you only got into art school because we towed the party line because we bribed some people. And Raji says, well, my paintings were really good. And Mihai says, well, they had to be at least somewhat good or I couldn't have bribed enough people to get you in. Right. Above and then Radu average. leaves and Mihai and Flavia are like, uh, no, actually, he's just a really good painter. I didn't do right. anything. But the damage is done. Right. They yep. even say, well, he'll never believe us now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's and 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 I mean that's it's a it's a, a really kind of conflicting scene where Radu is is uh, being very rational in some ways against his mother and blaming her for a lot of things and there's this great really well written I'm trying to find it there's this great um, yeah there we go so they basically each say um, Flavia says she doesn't remember saying that uh, that Elena Ceausescu. Um, was she she praised her at one point and Radu always remembered that moment and she says I don't remember and he says no you wouldn't and then one line later Flavia reverses it on on Radu um, why are you saying this Radu how are you making it up you're manipulating me and Radu says I don't remember and she says no you wouldn't and it's this 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 they're both at an impasse and they use the same words against each other in this scenario before Radu storms out uh, as a result of Mihai's uh, uh, declaration that he had had to bribe people. Yeah, so we get a few more surreal moments throughout the course of this act. One of them is that Rodica, who's not a character that is really that much involved in the play, Rodica has this sort of crazy nightmare about the execution of the Ceausescu's, about her family and and sort of being taken away by all of this. And what we know about her is that she has been so, and this is Gabriel's wife, Rodica, she has been so scared by the revolutionary action that she almost won't come out of the house. She doesn't come to see Gabriel at the hospital for a little bit. And there's some mention of the fact that she like won't talk She's been so scared by the events that have taken place. And so she has these horrible nightmares about the violence that has occurred, about what might happen to her and her family. You know, Gabriel now has this injury, so he can't work. She's got this, you know, deep panic and anxiety, so she can't work. So there's all these looming questions for them about what their future really holds in post-revolution Romania. Mm -hmm. The other other thing that feels almost surreal when reading it, I think it would be a lot more clear on stage, is this scene where they all come back from partying, they're they're drinking, they come back and they enact the execution of Ceausescu and his wife. Right, um, and, and reading the scene, it really takes you a minute to uh, grasp what is occurring and in a way so that you understand the scene. I, I think you're right in playing it, it probably... Uh, you know, the team will do do some work to help the audience keep up. But in the reading of it, it takes a minute for you to go, oh, they're they're play acting the execution because this because the play is so surreal in a lot of areas. You're not sure if like 
Churchill is really writing the execution scene with the actors she already has. But no, I, I think that the characters are play acting the execution with each other for fun. Yeah, like kind of drunkenly for fun and saying some really awful things in there too. Like this scene, more than any other scene, I think, kind of deals with, and I, I think this goes back to what you were saying originally about getting on the ground so quickly after the revolution and taking real stories from people. Um, this scene shows the conflict of people there. It doesn't necessarily cast these people in in the, the good light of the revolutionaries um, f- for this scene, at least. I think the rest of the play, we're, we're meant to side with them. But... Um, this scene, they they say some really awful jeers against uh, specifically Ceausescu's wife and Ceausescu, and all of you, you get the feeling that there is there's a lot of stuff built up that's all coming out because they're drunk, their inhibitions are lowered. It's all coming out because they're free to do it now. The security isn't going to come and find them. They're not listening anymore, assumedly, and uh, and they 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 enact. But notably, they still have this the reflex in them because at the end of that scene after all this craziness they're laughing they're drunk Rogers made a joke about how well is Cheshesku really dead yes oh he's really dead they're laughing and then a guy comes to like see what all the noise is about and they immediately quiet down that's true so there's still this reflex of like oh somebody's listening yep yeah absolutely yeah and it's and it's done by like a door opening uh, up above them and then the man goes in and the door closes and they go quiet that's like yeah, absolutely. It's still residual. Also, this is the scene I think we got to mention the Janos thing. We're trying to we're trying to bring all the threads. There's so many threads in this play, but Janos is a part of this group. Notably, Janos is the one who in the enactment calls all the proverbial shots against uh, uh against Ceausescu. He says shoot him in the leg, shoot him in the belly, shoot him in the head. And um so right. So Janos is a Hungarian person. And a lot of the tensions of Act 3 are around the question of the Hungarian people. Romanians uh, don't like Hungarians. It's a it's racism. Um, and so Janos being a Hungarian, when he meets other members of the family, is, is discriminated against. The people that he's around, Gabriel, Gabriel's family, Radu, even Radu's family, uh, don't seem to mind him except – that there's still sort of a deep-seated discrimination against Hungarian people even in them because the wedding of Act 3 is Radu and Florina. But if you remember in Act 1, the wedding was Lucia and Wayne, the American. Well, Lucia's come back after the revolution on the pretext of seeing how her family fared in the revolution. And what she ends up doing is uh, being in a relationship with Janos. And it's revealed that they really were in a relationship before Wayne got married too. In fact, the child that Lucia has aborted is Janos's child. Yes. Yep. So there's 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 a a scene prior to that where they're kind of talking about the complication of that and what what is the relationship now. And in this scene, uh, Janos, I think for the first time, uh, shows some physical affection in Act Three and puts his arm around Lucia uh, after they've had this enactment and and fun therein. And Gabriel, who's supposed to be Janos's, you know, friend, they're all buddies, Gabriel, Rado, and Janos, hits Janos with his crutch and says, you know, get your filthy Hungarian hands off my sister. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, that might be a different scene, but... That, I, no, that that's occurred. the right scene, yeah. Right? Okay, good. Yep. 
and and I imagine this scene is kind of Janos says what and Gabriel replies just joking I'm just like, kidding oh like, no, you're right yes because yeah. he, he frames it as just kidding right right so um, it's, so so what happens then for about 10 to 15 pages of act three is that the group goes to visit uh, some grandparents in the countryside and Janos comes along and brings Tomas who's a kid that Janos's parents are adopting and so Janos is sort of adopting as a younger brother um so they all go out to the countryside and I don't know what what happens it's I, I mean that's where we get uh, primarily we get the uh the Janos and Lucia storyline unfolding um this this little boy is there Tomas who is views uh Janos as a safe uh, individual, and so they have some relationship. They like each other, but he does not like Lucia, nor does she like him. And um, there's there's that complication of uh, I think we we are we are looking at that relationship developing and figuring out whether or not Lucia is coming back home. And since Lucia, so much of Act One within the context of these characters had to do with Lucia's choice to leave and go to America and marry Wayne. Um, the kind of betrayal and the the ramifications of that choice are all being balanced within that trip to the country. Right. And the other thing that happens is that they start to, as a family in this culture, they start to figure out what the political future of Romania is going to be. So they all start to take sides in the various political parties that they want to support in the upcoming elections. There's some discussion about how all the people are just going to elect basically another Ceausescu, who is the, going to be the head of the National Salvation Front. And uh, he's not, no, nothing's going to change. The revolution was for nothing. So there's that sort of feeling in everybody as well. And the grandparents have their own particular you know this is what we're this is the party that we're siding with etc so the buildup of the political future for romania starts to be established as well mm-hmm. yep so then uh, eventually we get to the end of the act which is the marriage between radu and florina um we it, and it's 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 a good chunk of act three is is this this marriage ceremony where we have a bunch of little vignettes, scenes within scenes of people all over the place continuing that conversation still of this political structure. Because I believe at this point, uh, the... Well, well, I do want to just jump in real quick. Before we get to the wedding scene, there's a scene of Radu and Florina where they have a fight about the fact that Radu still wants basically another revolution against the front. And Florina says, what? You're insane. We had our revolution. Revolution. You just want to fight again. You just want more of the more of the energy, more of the violence. Uh, and 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 they they call each other names and they say we're breaking up. We don't want to talk to each other ever again. And then the next scene is their wedding party. Right. <laughs> yes. So I, I almost imagine if I were to ever direct the play using like titles and projections as well as announcements and stuff. So I, there could be there. I think there's definitely like a humorous element there where it's like, I never want to see you again. Fine. Go away. We're done. And then they march out and then like you get the announcement and the title, the wedding of Radu and Florian. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yes. Each of these, interestingly, each of these scenes are titled um, within it. You almost get the feeling that they, they could have been uh, stage stage notes or just a way to keep track of what was happening as the playwright. But it would be interesting to use projections because they are both 
in the script well, in Romanian and in English. You're supposed to announce them. The, the, yeah. the script does call for you to announce in Romanian and then in English the title of each scene. Yeah. So you're going beat by beat with these with these contexts given. Um, however, throughout this last scene, there are there are three different uh, short scenes within this this uh, larger scene. Um, all during the wedding, uh, all untitled, notably, and it's just kind of bouncing as as different stages of drunk are hit. Um, is 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 kind of what is uh, set up initially as as people are uh, talking more and more about the. There's the National Salvation Front, and then there's the Peasants Party. I believe is the, the other liberal one. Liberal Party. Yep, and there there's a number of people trying to debate who was the best choice. Uh, within that, they they talk a lot about Ilescu, I think is his name. Um, he's the he's the guy that the front is putting up as the and and is the likely candidate, and eventually we know in history ends up becoming the new leader of Romania. Yep. Mm-hmm. And and both families are there, and we've already uh, Mihai is continuing his kind of devotion to. Um, the the National Salvation Front seems to be cast in the light of it, at least the successor, if not just a rebranding of the of a number of the people who were involved in the Communist Party. So Mihai is pretty uh, still set on 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 being aligned with them, whereas some of the others are not so much. Bogdan especially is is uh, more more aligned with the Peasants Party. And there's this. There's this ongoing conflict still between the families of the idea that, well, the revolution didn't mean anything. Well, to the Vadu family, you know, Gabriel was injured for the rest of his life as a result of the revolution. So they sort of balk at the idea that the revolution didn't mean anything. You know, they this, the refrain is like, you know, Gabriel was, you know, not fatally but critically injured in order for you to be able to even criticize the government. Right, yeah, and 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 it can't it can't be it can't be for nothing in in that in that scenario i think I, I think it is mihai who eventually has a lot of language of like well i'm glad that got out of their system let's get back to <laughs> let's get back to you know maintaining things and and the the vladus are just not not on board with that at all um so there's this back and forth in the wedding scene of of sort of sweet family scenes of the wedding of people getting together and enjoying each other. And then these sort of political arguments, a great example of this, um, sweet family scenes is a scene between Flavia and Janos, uh, Janos being the Hungarian with the younger brother, Tomas and Flavia being, Radu's mother. So, you know, Radu is a friend of Janos. So they're talking and Flavia says, well, how's your little brother doing? And Janos says, well, he wakes up in the middle of the night every night and cries. And Flavia says, well, how's your mother doing? <laughs> and they laugh about that. And so there's there's lots of sweet scenes like that that sort of pop up, at least in the first half of the wedding scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then eventually it gets, it comes to blows, as it were. Um, there's the scene later on where um, Janos and Lucia end up being the center of the conflict again. Um, and, his, and his Hungarian background, the, the whole time basically people have been occasionally bringing up uh, that they're not okay with his Hungarian background. And he keeps bringing up that if the Hungarians weren't here, the revolution wouldn't have happened, which is... Uh, some in, in some ways true. The original, the first beat of the revolution was the Hungarians' uprising, and um, and he eventually calls them. Essentially, you've been you've been subjugated for too long. You are all slaves here in Romania, and I think that is that is a big part of the trigger that prompts Bogdan to 
strike at Janos. And then a big fight breaks out between the whole family. Oh, and you actually see Bogdan and Irina. Now, they've had a lot to drink, but they're the parents of Lucia. And they, and you see them get on to Lucia about this. Um, you know, at one point, Bogdan actually calling Lucia a, a slut. Now, I think that the, the, the bull, you know, there's more to that because she's also left her husband in America, the husband for whom all of them made these incredible sacrifices so that she could marry an American because she loved him. And now she's left him in America to come and marry a Hungarian who they all hate Hungarians. Right. Yeah. So it, it kind of builds on for them. And <laughs> it's this it, – it's such a weird ending almost because it, it, this is kind of the last narrative beat is this fight. And it ends not with – someone winning necessarily, someone losing, or some reconciliation, it ends with Flavia saying, this is a wedding, we're forgetting our program, it's time for dancing. And the fight stops, and everyone starts dancing. <laughs> well, um, right, well, what I love is the the stage direction description of the fight. So all of this is building, right? The, the Hungarian question, the question of whether we really had a revolution, the question of who, who people support politically, the internal family conflicts that have occurred, the question of Lucia leaving the American for whom everybody made sacrifices for her to marry. It's this incredible, incredibly well-crafted tension build of all these things that have been occurring through the whole play. And eventually... The, the the starting blow is uh, 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 Bogdan says, leave my son alone, Hungarian, ba- or leave my son alone, Hungarian bastard, and don't come near my daughter. And I'm going to swear here. Yano says, I'm already fucking your daughter, you stupid peasant. So, I mean, that obviously that is the result of a huge amount of fighting already. They don't just start there. That's the, that's the build. So then these are the stage directions we get. Bogdan hits Janos. Radu restrains Bogdan. Lucia attacks Bogdan. Bogdan hits Radu. Mihai pushes Bogdan. Bogdan hits Mihai. Flavia attacks Bogdan. Janos pushes Gabriel. Irina protects Gabriel. Gabriel hits Janos. Radu attacks Bogdan. Mihai restrains Radu. Radu attacks Mihai. Florina attacks Radu. Gabriel hits out indiscriminately with his crutch and accidentally knocks Bogdu to the floor. Stunned silence. Yep. And that th- is crazy. It's, it's nuts. Everyone gets involved. They all rush into this bunching of, of attacks. Well, and and just from a playwriting perspective, to beat by beat describe a fight like that, you know, there, there are some plays where there are fights and there's these really detailed descriptions of what happens. Like we're talking mid-1900s kinds of plays. Right. Where stage yep. directions are a huge part of it. But in Churchill's plays, there's just not that many stage directions. And so this is a description of the fight, but it's like... It's it, it, there's no description. It's just the beats of the fight, <laughs> which is so Carol Churchill. Right. She is so good at structuring the beats of a story. You know, a lot of these scenes have no dialogue. They're just actions. And so she lays out for you the actions of the fight in a way that I think if you were going to stage it would be really helpful and effective in understanding how all of this tension has built to cause this one physical confrontation. Mm-hmm. And it and it doesn't allow you. It doesn't allow any character to escape from it. Every character joins in the physicality of this. Everything that they've been holding in themselves, talking about, every one of them unleashes a physical manifestation of that struggle. No one gets to stand back and go, "Oh no, this is happening." Everyone is involved with it. Right. So the fight occurs. And like Jackson says, Flavia says, no, it's a wedding. We should be dancing. <laughs> so they pair up 
and their respective couples, including the angel and the vampire, who now join the scene and decide <laughs> to dance together. They're back. Notably, the and, dog isn't. No, yeah, the other dog doesn't come <laughs> back. So, what? Wh- how does the play end, Jackson? You want to describe for us this odd uh, uh, way to end things? It is an odd way to end things, especially within the context of this play being performed in England. Um, the play ends with uh, a bunch of lines spoken by all of the characters in particular order, um, kind of cacophony style. It starts kind of you hear one at a time, but eventually they're all speaking over each other. And these are lines from the play, prior lines that the characters have said. Mm-hmm. But they're all spoken in Romanian. Um, so the, 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 the translations are given in the script and perhaps something can be achieved through projections, but they are not spoken in, in English. Um, everyone speaks l- lines of import from previous in the play, as you said, Jacob, uh, things that are basically the characters, different, different bonds and what they believe the strongest, um, or maybe moments where that was, uh, the opposite was true, but they are, they are distinct moments from each of these characters. And then we're left we're left with this weird vampire again. <laughs> and the as, vampire has numbered lines as well. So in your script how it looks is that the characters have all the lines that they're supposed to say and then the order of the number in which they're supposed to say them. So the vampire has numbered lines as well. But ultimately the cacophony is supposed to build and end in order for the vampire to deliver the final line in Romanian, which is what? It's the repeat of his line that he says to the dog. You begin to want blood, your limbs ache, and your head burns. You have to keep moving faster and faster. And that is such a poignant. I think that's that that's the reason why I give so much weight to that scene, that weird scene with the vampire and the dog, is because this is the final moment of the play, set in silence um, in Romanian. And uh, I, I think it defines a lot of what this play is about. Yeah, uh, there'd be so much to unpack there. We could do a lot on that last scene, so we're probably better off allowing you to unpack it for yourselves, Um, especially what that final line means and the significance of it all being in Romanian. Uh, Look, I am hugely fond of this play. I have been since I read it in college and in the same class that Jackson did. It's uh, really an incredible feat for me. It's my favorite Carol Churchill play of all that I've read. I'm so fond of the beautiful way that she orchestrates the revolution actually occurring, but also she's just such a master at structuring plot. I mean, there's no better playwright to study at how she... It's not just about dialogue. You know, sometimes people who are playwrights think so much about how to get my dialogue sounding the best when really playwriting is all about structure. It's all about the building blocks of a great story. And Carol Churchill is a master of using building blocks to just construct these immaculate towers that are her stories. Yes, and of using the absence of dialogue and and the silence necessary to communicate the weight of some of this as well. You need you need both. You need you need you, not both. You need all of those things. And I think I absolutely agree that this play slowly gives you more information, slowly ekes out more about character, more about plot, and is just masterful in its arc as, in what what pays off at the end of it. 
I think that that's that's probably going to wrap up our conversation on it. We, we we took a little bit more time. This, as we mentioned, this is a, a masterwork of many things coming together. So hopefully, you all stuck in there for the end. Thank you to everyone who is still listening. Um, if you have more that you want to add to this conversation, if you have read this play or been in this play and 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 want to kind of add some perspective on that, we'd love to continue the conversation with you. Uh, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at No Script Podcast is the username there, or you can email us No Script Pod podcast at gmail.com if you're a carol churchill aficionado or an expert in romanian history you might also have some things to say about this conversation (laughs) we'd love to hear from you too you can find the podcast on podbean where it's hosted or on google play apple podcasts or spotify we post the link to every new episode every week on facebook twitter and instagram so that's an easy place to find them as well if you liked this episode if you've liked our other episodes we can't say this enough the best thing you can do for us is share it on your social media share it with your friends and family if you like scripts you know people who like scripts that's how friendships are built so tell your friends and your family about the podcast we can continue to grow this family of people who are interested in dramatic literature and in unpacking all the treasures that it holds pay attention next week we will be making an announcement about what is to come in the month of march march is going to be another themed month like we had september as musical month so pay attention next week we'll tell you what the theme is for march's plays Yes, indeed. And thank you to everyone who shares the podcast and support us in that way. Thank you to everyone who supports the podcast monetarily over on Patreon. Uh, This podcast is not free to make. We love making it. The podcast will always be free to listen to. Um, But for those of you who want to be more involved with the show and help support us and help us produce more and more of this kind of great unscripted conversations, as we say, uh, check us out over on Patreon. We have a number of great tiers of different sort of things that that, uh, you get as uh, different levels of patronship so check us out at uh, patreon.com slash no script podcast thank you all for listening we will be with you next week with another script see you then i'm jacob man christensen and i'm jackson nikolai and this is no script the podcast see ya see ya